So, let's open with a word of prayer. God Almighty, we tell you we love you. We thank you for this this morning uh, that you've brought us here together. We pray that you would open your word to us. Uh, Come, Lord Holy Spirit. The scripture says that you teach us. It says that you lead us into all truth and that where you are, there is freedom. So we invite you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So, again, my name is Boyd Hopkins. Um, I'm a pastor originally from Canada. So uh, a couple of days ago, I was standing in, you know, knee-deep snow. It's really nice to be with you. And uh, we're actually going to stay a few extra days beyond the conference. So anyway, but we, we're, we're going to have a good time today. What I get to share with you a little bit about is a seminar that I developed a number of years ago called The Problem of Pornography. And uh, i got to be honest, I didn't really set out to be a, a porn specialist. I had a guy come up to me here a little while ago and say, are you the porn guy? You're that porn guy? <laughs> and I'm going, yeah, yeah, no, well, we got to unpack that statement a little bit. Uh, you've noticed the trailer that we've been running. Uh, we've just put together this uh, video series. It's called The Problem of Porn. So now i got people asking me uh, why I, I'm making porn videos. So anyway, we, but I say this is a porn video with a good twist, right? Its aim is to help us get free. So anyway, a number of years ago, I, I had people start to come to me, uh, and so we decided we would put together this seminar. And the seminar for me, it's a, it's a faith-based seminar. It's really the thrust of this teaching is how to let God be your strength. Uh, it's what I call an inside-out approach, where we allow Jesus to come into the darkness and allow the Holy Spirit to uh, fight that fight on our behalf. So that's really what we're going to be talking about. We've watched numbers of people over the years get free from pornography. And interestingly enough, not just men. Uh, men are, um, uh, I don't know, I guess the, the target demographic has shifted from men to women and children now. And statistically, about 35% of women now struggle with pornography in, in some form. So when we talk about pornography, uh, the definition I give for pornography is printed or visual material that is intended to stimulate sexual excitement. It can be hardcore in in terms of utterly graphic. It can be softcore in terms of being merely suggestive. It can be visual in terms of video stuff, in terms of pictures, all that kind of stuff. Or it can be written in terms of romance novels and that kind of thing. Interestingly enough, if you go through, um, if, if we were to go through the houses of uh, uh, the people in our community, including our church community, we would find that many of us have um, porn in our, in our houses. So anyway, the target demographic right now is widened out. So this material you will find applies to everybody. Basically, when I, uh, when I begin to encounter people with this struggle, I went to my Bible and I went looking for what applies to sexual sin and then extrapolated that out into the area of porn. We do the same seminar. Uh, we call it the dealing with temptation. And so the same teachings really apply to every temptation. I had a guy come to me. He went through this seminar here a little while ago. Uh, he was a 40-year smoker. He came to me and he said, well, you know, porn isn't really my issue, but I took these teachings home and applied them to my cigarette habit. And he said, I'm free. I said, you got to tell me about that. He said, well, last night, uh, or the night after I went to the seminar, he said, I went home, I prayed the prayers, and he said, at 2 o'clock in the morning, 
I got woke up and there was this thought in my head. And the thought was, you're no longer a smoker. So he said he had a good laugh, went back to sleep, woke up um, beside his wife. While she's a smoker as well, the two of them, their morning routine is to get up and uh, go for a smoke and get their nicotine levels up, you know, a little bit before the kids get up. She rolls over and she says, uh, let's go for a smoke. And he said, God told me last night I'm no longer a smoker. So she waved a cigarette under his nose and she laughed at him and she went out for a smoke. Well, she did that every morning for two weeks. And at the end of two weeks, she got woke up at two o'clock in the morning and she said, I heard God speak to me and he said, you're next. Anyway, so this couple, um, I've done the follow-up with them. They don't smoke anymore. Uh, God set them free. And he set them free using this teaching. So, But today what, what I want to do is I'm going to sort of hit things hard and fast. We're going to do it low-tech whiteboard style. Um, but I want to open up with the story of a young man who came to me. Um, he walked into my office. His name is Dan. And he gives me permission to share his story. And Dan walked into my office alongside of his father. He was depressed looking, and his addiction had grown to the point where he was chained to a screen for anywhere between 11 to 14 hours a day. Um, and this is the story as he, um, as he wrote it. it. He says, It was at Bible school that my problem with porn began to grow. I felt like I had learned a lot about God, but I still didn't know Him. I couldn't seem to figure out how to live rightly, And I felt that if I knew God, then I would know how. There was wonderful teaching in Bible school, and I learned a lot. However, I was more alone than ever. And I lived in a house with a couple of other guys. I had my own room, and I ended up going deeper than ever into porn. I was very much in bondage to my sin. Eventually, it got so bad that I hid in my room, watching porn all day long. I was utterly defeated and hardened in my heart toward God. I wasn't willing to repent. And I didn't want to be a Christian anymore. My only reasons, at least in my mind, for not forsaking my faith completely were that I knew it would break my parents' hearts and I was afraid of hell. I went home for Christmas break. When we got home, my dad took me to pray with Pastor Boyd. I told him my story and at the end of it, I said, I've realized that I have nothing to give to God. But Pastor Boyd told me, actually, that's not true. You've got all your sin and brokenness to give to him. That's all I have to give him, and that's what he came to purchase. He didn't come to buy the righteous people, but sinners like me. I have sin to give to Jesus, and he is willing to carry it for me. So, you know, like when we listen to that part of the story, the interesting thing with Dan is when Dan came into my office, he was depressed looking. He sat down and he bluntly told me, I do not want to follow Jesus anymore. He said, I just want my porn. Um, and my response to him, I don't know what your response would be, but as I listened to that, I thought, I love this guy's honesty. That is a Romans 5.20 statement. Romans 5.20 says, the law was sent that sin might abound. Like, we've got a couple little babies here. One of my favorite illustrations is changing diapers. Anyone, you ever change a diaper without exposing the mess? You know, you've got one of those diapers that sort of slides off and sort of cleans the baby as it slides off. You never see anything? And then the legs sort of self-seal and it poofs little sprays of perfume and you never have to smell anything. Yeah, those kinds of diapers don't exist. If you're going to change a baby, you have to expose the mess to address the mess. That, that is a Romans 5.20 thing. And that's actually what happened with Daniel. When Daniel said to me, you know what, I, I love my sin. I, I really just, I just want 
my sin. I don't want to follow Jesus anymore. I looked at him and I said, I love your honesty. I said, you know, actually, Jesus didn't come for your good stuff. He came for your bad stuff. Matthew 9.13. Uh, Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I desire compassion, not sacrifice. I'm not interested in you trying to pay for what you've done. And I'm not interested in your good stuff. Jesus said, I came for not for the righteous, but for the sinners. So if you're one of those people that have sin in your life, or guilt in your life, or shame in your life, you are the target individual that Jesus has come for. And you might not think you have to have, you have anything good to him, but you know that's something that our culture teaches us. It teaches us we have to give something good to God. God is not interested in your good. If you if you had if you stand on your good, if if that's all you have to offer God, you don't have much. But if you offer him your sin, you are now offering God what he came to deal with. And you are also filling God's heart with joy because God, like a mother that changes her baby, gets a charge out of cleaning things up. You get what I'm saying? That's what God came to do. He came to cleanse, he came to heal, he came to redeem. You were giving him that option. So this is really what I said to Daniel. I said, Daniel. You may not think you have anything to give God, but you've got a pile of stuff to give God. Let's forget about the good stuff. Let's give God the stuff that's poisoning you. So, Boyd told me, he goes on to read, Boyd told me that the call of Jesus was to repent and believe. And we're going to unpack that in a little bit. He told me I, was, I need to be ready to renounce the benefit of my sin. Which means I explained to Daniel that all sin has an element of fun to it. Especially pornography. There's a thrill there's an escape, whatever it is, but there's a benefit. You know, you remember the picture sort of uh, when I was a kid, we used to picture the old donkey, you know, and the, the guy who was using the donkey to drag loads all day had a fishing pole with a carrot. And he would hang the carrot in front of the donkey and the donkey would chase that carrot all day long. For that carrot, that donkey worked all day long in the hot sun. That is exactly how the devil deals with us when it comes down t- to sin. He always puts a little fun part. There's a little bait for us to go for so that he can torment us. And there's this trade-off that happens. So I explained that to Daniel. I said, Daniel, whatever you're getting out of your sin, God wants you to put that in his hands too. Well, he told me that since Jesus had bought me, it was his job to clean me up. Since I belonged to Jesus, all my sin also belonged to him. It didn't come from him, but it belonged to him, and I could give it to him. And so we prayed, and we gave Jesus my sin, and invited him to come into the place in my heart that this sin had held. In that moment, God did a work of freedom in my life. About a month after I prayed with Pastor Boyd, I went back to porn and I found myself all tied up again and unwilling to repent. But that night I had a dream in which I felt the presence of evil. And in the morning, I felt like God told me I couldn't have it both ways. It was either porn or him. So he gave me the grace to repent and to give him my sin again. Since then, I've looked at porn on two occasions, but each time God was faithful and took it from me. It's been about a year now, and I can truly say God has set me free. That particular young man, when he wrote this, this was about three years ago. Since that time, he's looked at porn a couple of more times, and he's come and told me about it. But he said every time he has done that, he has, God has given them the grace to go back and repent. You know, I want you to think about when we talk about temptation. You remember the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And especially in, that, in the Luke version of that, uh, it ends by saying Satan left Jesus at the end of those, uh, those three temptations, and then he, came, he left him until an opportune time. So when we talk about freedom, freedom comes, there are moments of breakthrough, like Daniel experienced, but there are also times where you have to be, on, on, you have to be aware, like 1 Peter 5, uh, 7 and 8 talks about. It talks about being aware. 
Your enemy, the devil, we call the devil the tempter. So there is a demonic element to the temptations you will go through. The devil will bring you temptations. And he will wait until your guard is down where you're back in your own strength, and he will try to tempt you there. Anyway, as you experience those temptations, what I've taught Daniel is I said, you need to live the lifestyle of repentance. That lifestyle of repentance is where you continue to invite Jesus into every temptation, into every sin. What the devil wants to do, and I, when I think about temptation, I always go back to the original temptation. You're familiar with the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, and the temptation was this. If you bite this, you can be your own God. If you bite this, you can be like God, which means be your own God. You do your own life, your own way, for your own ends, in your own strength. The moment they bit that, they stepped into their own strength and they become vulnerable. This is the basic temptation of the devil in all things, including pornography. Fight with it on your own. Fight with it on your own. And the moment you're in your own, your own strength, you're vulnerable. What we want to do in terms of repentance, what repentance really means is we are turning back from our own strength to the strength of God. We are going to take God seriously when God says, I sent the law to expose your sin, to make your sin abound, so that the grace of God could much more abound. That picture is the picture of opening that diaper. I came to expose your sin. You know what? A lot of us, I'll tell you how it works. A lot of us, when we're struggling with our sin, we're trying to tell God, I need a change, but we're hanging on to the diaper at the same time. You know what I mean? We're hanging on to our belt. We're not going to let God have access. You can't have it both ways. When you say, God, I, I need you to deal with my sin, you need to say, God, you have now full access to my sin. And so that's what we learn how to do. So, okay, what I want to do in the very short amount of time I have with you, I am going to, um, I'm going to burn through a, a couple of basic temptations. Um, uh, basically, the stuff that I taught Daniel. And then, uh, for those of you who are interested in more, that video series that we're just releasing um, will have the whole teaching. So what I want to do is I want to take you to uh, Hebrew chapter 4. And uh, one of the things I should say about this video series, it's what I call a faith-based series. So though we will teach certain skill sets, the, the dependence that you will learn in this video series is how to, log, how to let God be your strength, how to trust God to be that strength. So first thing that I want to do, um, I want to explain just a little bit about how temptation works. If you understand how something works, you can deal with it. So Hebrews 4 says this, um, There is no creature hidden from the sight of God, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Which means that you are exposed. I am exposed. God sees everything in us. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. What is the confession we hold fast? When we're struggling, what is the confession we hold fast? This is the confession. That Jesus Christ died to forgive my sins and that he rose again to give me eternal life. That is the confession that I hold fast. When the devil has me backed into a corner and he's pounding me with accusations. And the thing you need to know about the devil is the devil is very logical and what he says makes sense. That is when we hold on to our confession. I don't care. I am forgiven. I don't care what you say, devil. I am forgiven. We hold fast that confession. That is our lifeline, right? For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, 
yet without sin. So this means that Jesus has been tempted in every way as you have been tempted. So when you think about that kind of temptation, oh, um, I'm going to pull this over here a little bit this way. There we go. Okay. When we think about temptation, this becomes helpful. Write this. You know, you're doing your devotions on this passage. Temptations. Let's go this. Temptations. Tempted in what way are you been tempted? Anyone here? Been tempted to hate other people? Been tempted to steal? Been tempted with porn? Which means to peep, to lust. Jesus has been sexually tempted. Now there are people out there that, you know, they go, no, he couldn't be. He's God. No, it bluntly says in Hebrews that he has been tempted in every way as you have been tempted. This becomes important to me. Because when I am in the depths of my lust, when I, am, when I am looking at porn or when I have stumbled into porn, I get to invite Jesus there. And Jesus comes to me and he says, I know what you're going through. And it says he's compassionate and he doesn't condemn. And what does that make Jesus? That makes Jesus safe. In fact, it makes Jesus a lot safer than a lot of the Christians that we may know. You get what I'm saying? This is really what people want. People are hungry for someone who is safe. Jesus is ultimately safe. So he's been tempted. So let's say this. Temptation, to be tempted, does not mean that you have sinned. It is not a sin to be tempted. Okay? Um, Temptation came from who? James chapter 1 says temptation comes from the devil. So, as we talk a little bit about temptation, we understand that Jesus has been tempted in every way as we are, and he does not condemn us. Okay, I want to give you a couple of definitions. One is uh, lust. Because what we want to do is we want to talk now about how lust and temptation work together. Lust. Lust is an emotion or feeling of intense desire in the body. You could say lust is an intense craving, right? So when we think about lust, I want you to think about it this way. Here's our guy, okay? There's his arms, there's his torso, there's a six-pack, right there. No neck. We're going to call him No Neck Dave, okay? There's his heart. Apparently, he also has an enlarged heart, but anyway, whatever. We're, we're going to focus on lust. This speaks about lust is a, is a craving, an intense desire in the body. It can take uh, the form of lust for knowledge, lust for sex, lust for power. It can take mundane forms, such as the lust for food. But regardless, it is a craving, and it has to do with a, with a, a psychological element is to, uh, as well. So these two things are connected, but let's just say first and foremost that lust is centered within us. It's that craving within. Let's look at temptation. Temptation is something that causes a strong urge or desire to do or have something, especially something bad. So when we think about temptation, we want to think about this. Temptation comes from the outside. Make sense to you? Lust comes from the inside. When we struggle with pornography, pornography, we are dealing with both things. Okay, let's look at James chapter 1, and we'll unpack this a little more. It says, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. What James is now teaching us is how to deal with temptation and lust. 
Once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life with which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the man who has persevered under trial. Okay, so pretend you're being tempted right now with pornographic thoughts, pornographic images. You're being tempted with lust. What are you being asked to do? You're not being asked to overcome the temptation. What you were asked to do, and what Jesus is going to ask you to do, is I want you to trust me in this place right here. I want you to trust me with your lust. I want you to put yourself back in my hands. What did Jesus do in in the wilderness? Jesus refused, refused to step out of his father's hands. He trusted his father through every temptation of the devil. So this is what he's talking about. When he, when we talk about perseverance, we talk about perseverance in trusting God. God, I am in your hands. I am not going to leave that place. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So temptations do not come from God. Oftentimes we find that God is blamed for the temptations, or God is blamed for the things that happen to us. God does not bring these things. Who brings them? The devil. Exactly. So that demonic component. Uh, As we deal with porn and issues like porn, it becomes important to learn how to deal with the demonic. We have a seminar that I do called Foundations for Dealing with the Demonic that focuses on that as well. But anyway, okay. Each one is tempted. Now, what I want you to look at in this next verse, I'm going to give you a little bit of of an equation because what this next verse does is it teaches us how temptation and lust work together. It says, Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. So what we have is temptation right here, plus um, lust right here. When you join those two together, they become sin, and sin leads us to death. And when we're talking about death, we're talking about what Romans 5 talks about. We're talking spiritual death, which means separation from God. That's how it works. Now, when I was a young person and I was being taught how to deal with temptations, for me, all of the focus was on this. It was fight the temptation, fight the temptation, fight the temptation. Uh, Nobody ever taught me how to deal with the lust of my heart. And, you know, the reality is, you know, in this little trailer that you see me uh, showing on this video, you see me beating up my laptop with a sledgehammer. I have to say there's got to be more to it than that. If all you can do is beat your laptop up with a sledgehammer, if all you can do is put uh, good programs like Covenant Eyes on your laptop, but you never deal with the lust of your heart, you are always going to find another laptop, right? I was talking to a a nine-year-old here who had been into, uh, he'd been addicted to pornography, and his parents were talking how impossible it was to keep him away from his porn, even with all these computer programs you could put out. You have to deal with the lust in your heart. You know, let me, let me, let me share something here. Could I get you? Come up here with me. Jerome? Yeah. I need Jerome here. Jerome, you're going to help me demonstrate something, okay? We're going to pretend you're the devil. Go. Cool. So here's Jerome. He's, he's the devil right now, eh? We're going to pretend I'm the guy struggling with lust. So, uh, Jerome is the tempter. He's bringing the temptation from the outside, right? So just as a little bit of an illustration, if I'm an alcoholic and this is my bottle and and here's the devil trying to take me down, he comes at me with a temptation. And basically what James 1 says is that is not sin. When does it become sin? It becomes sin in the moment that I, in my lust, I reach out and engage that. Right? But prior to that, 
It ain't sin. Thanks, Jerome. I appreciate your, your help. Didn't expect it to be represented as the devil this morning, did you? No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, what do we want to do? The goal that we have when we, as we learn how to deal with temptation, we want to allow Jesus to, to be the Lord of our lust. So it sounds strange. But we want to begin to learn how to invite Jesus into our lust, give Him lordship where the lust of our heart lives. And as Jesus comes in there and establishes His lordship, where lust had power, lust loses its power. And then that's called faith. As we trust Jesus in this place, this other thing comes into play. It's called the shield of faith. Ephesians chapter 6 speaks about that shield of faith. And then the temptations begin to fall aside powerless. That's the journey that God wants to bring us on. As we learn to trust Him, give Him lordship of our lust, He is gonna, He is going to be our protector. He's gonna fight the battle for us, and we are gonna become less vulnerable because He is the one taking care of us. Make sense? Okay. So, I want to take you on to another little teaching, um, that sort of follows up on this. There we go. Let it be said, coming out of that teaching, Luke 17, 1 says, temptations will always come. If your expectation is, is that you'll go to some kind of seminar that will get rid of every temptation, never going to happen. But if you learn how to trust Jesus in that persevering way, you are going to begin to walk in freedom. Right? Um, okay. Um, let's see here. Let's go on to our next thing. What time, what time are we? 11.13, and I have one half hour left. Okay, good, good. Okay. Okay. What I want to talk to you now about is radical prayer. So when you're praying to put yourself in the hands of God, what does that look like? Um, and I'm going to unpack a couple of passages for you that you may never have seen in this light before. Uh, one of them comes out of Romans chapter 6. It's a recipe for prayer. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. When, uh, when you deal with people that are struggling with pornography or people that an addiction has taken over their life, it's very much like being you are controlled by that addiction. You are like a slave to that addiction. Uh, I don't know, like I come from Canada. I married an American, so we got this interesting blend going on. But in both places, we're all about our own rights. Who here likes your rights? right? Who here likes to be thought of as a slave? We don't like to think that because we're our own people. And yet, the reality is, this passage, it basically teaches you you are going to be a slave to somebody. It's just your, the only choice you have is to who. Who will you serve? Are you going to serve the world? Are you going to serve the devil? Are you going to serve your own flesh? Or are you going to serve God? This is the choice that Paul presents to us in this passage. He says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. Don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin will not have power or rule or dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. Anyone know what grace is? We talk about grace as unmerited favor, but it's more than that. Grace, when we talk about God's grace, is everything that God brings to you that you have need of. It's strength, it's power, it's forgiveness, it's everything. Everything that you have need of is God's grace. 
And God says that you are under His grace and He will provide for everything in your life, every need. The call then is that we offer ourselves to Him. Do you not know um, that whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one's slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? So I want you to think about your members. What are the things you present to sin? Now, we're, talk, we're in a seminar where we're talking about pornography. So let's look at this. Porn. There we go. What are the members that you present to porn? Anyone want to hazard a guess? Eyes. Eyes, right? Absolutely. So how would you pray? You know, Because the challenge of Paul, he says, is if you offer your eyes to porn, you're going to be, you're going to be enslaved. But to that, what does that mean? It means simply the reality that I used to live with. I was engaged in pornographic behavior uh, well before there was any internet. There was no internet at all back when I was a porn addict. So there was a few videos, there was a few magazines, and there was a very active imagination. And I cultivated that imagination. And I got to the point where I could look at women and I could look at them pornographically, uh, you know, just let the porn play in my head, right? I offered my eyes, and my eyes begin to do that. And you can tell when you're looking at, you know, if you're a man, you're looking at a woman pornographically. If you're a woman and you're looking at a man, you can look at that person pornographically. You can peel them in your mind, so to speak, undress them in your head. You can look at them with lust. What do you offer, right? So, okay, how are we going to pray about this? We're going to begin to pray, Dear Jesus, I offer you my eyes. And the way I'm looking at that woman, the way I'm looking at that man, I offer my eyes to you in this moment. You hear what I'm saying? When you think about Jesus, think about him like he's a heavenly mechanic. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, that's what he does. And he, he reorients us. So he says, I want you to give me that member and what you're using that member for, and I will change it. It is not up to you to change it yourself. Who here, you know, you've been looking at someone pornographically and you've fought with that image in your head, fought with that tendency in your head, and you can't change it. That would be me. And I've had struggles with that uh, while I was a pastor as well. And I remember one time as I was uh, struggling with my eyes as a pastor, and and this um, these lusts were coming at me and these temptations were coming at me, and I was thinking, God, am I going to be the next pastor that falls? What do I do? And God laid on my heart in that moment. He says, you, you're fighting with your eyes on your own strength here, buddy. You've got to stop doing this. This is slightly my interpretation of God's voice, right? You get what I'm saying. But that was the, the gist of what God laid on my heart. You have to quit fighting with your eyes and your own strength. Give them to me. So the prayer ended up looking like this. Okay, Lord, the way I'm looking at that woman, I give that to you. I give you the way I'm using my eyes right now. It is up to you, Lord, to change that. And he began to do that, and he cleaned up the way I use my eyes. So that kind of a prayer. What other way? Do you, what other part of your body do you use? This is where you know. Okay, hands. Hands are the thing. You know, I used to type into my computer to get to the website, or whatever else. Dear Lord, I offer you my hands. Uh, masturbation. People use their their hands in the act of masturbation. Uh, Lord, I offer you my hands, and what I've done with my hands. Your your hands may feel really unclean, right? Your feet. Offer your feet. My feet take me to where I can get access to the stuff, right? Um, dear Lord, I offer you my feet, and I've watched God thwart some, you know, thwart guys in terms of where their feet take them. Um, it's pretty wild. Uh, what else, Lord? I offer you my 
I'm going to call them sex parts. But you can get real graphic with this. Dear Lord, I offer you my sexual parts. What do you do with those sexual parts? Hold it. We can't, you can't pray that kind of a prayer. Yes, you can. God is graphic. God is with you where, wherever you are. Romans 5.20, he exposes everything. Dear Lord, I offer you my members. This is actually what Romans 6 says. I've not normally thought of it in that way. That's true, but this is what it says. When you offer these parts of yourself, you are offering your body a living sacrifice. Anyone familiar with that passage in Romans 12, 1 and 2? I offer my body a living sacrifice. Now, when you think about what some people have done with their body, especially under the auspices of porn, they've done filthy things, they've done perverted things, they've done horrific things. And yet, Paul says, this is an act of worship when you take those things that you have abused and you offer them to God in prayer. He considers that an act of worship. Think about it, right? When a kid fills his diaper and he calls out to his mom, Ma, I need a change. The mother responds. My wife would respond, and she was all excited to spend some time at the change table because the kid's cute, right? And you like bringing the smile back. So there's an element of fun to cleaning the kid up, right? Um, but the kid would call out, and the kid would call out with expectation, and the kid would, would offer his mess to you. We have to understand that the heart of God is to cleanse his children. And that when we offer ourselves up, we are turning our focus to him in the, in the most difficult, the most poisonous parts of our lives. And he considers that worship. So, next time you stumble with porn, dear Jesus, I give you the mind, I give you what's in that mind. Dear Jesus, I give you what I did with my hands, I give you what I did with my feet. Lord, I give you what I've done with my sexual parts. I offer these things to you, Lord. They belong to you. My body belongs to you, a living sacrifice. And it is up to you to clean this up. So it's a, it's a different sort of a way of praying. It's a, a graphic way of praying. You know, present your body, Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect in terms of the will of God. So God wants what we have. You know, there's another little passage that I like to unpack here a little bit. Uh, it's John 1, 4, and 5. And John 1, 4, and 5 says this, In him was life, and the light, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. This is a mind-blowing passage to me. I used to read that passage, and I thought, oh, that's part of 1 John. It's a little esoteric, you know, it's a little academic. It's, a little, it's hard to be practical with that passage. That passage has been the most, become the most practical passage that I know of. I teach that passage all the time, and it sort of goes like this. In the deepest darkness in your life, where do we want to invite Jesus? We want to invite him there. So what's the darkness in your life? Is it darkness hatred? Is it lust? Is it pornography in your mind? Where is it? What is it? Let's invite Jesus there. To do that, you have to trust the heart of God for you. You have to trust that God wants to love you. And this is what, this is what John says. He says, Jesus is life. He wants to bring his life into the place where you're spiritually dead. He wants to bring his light his presence into your darkness. Now, what does light do when it comes into a dark room? What does it do? It chases the darkness out, right? 
We don't go in, you know, we're going to light a room. We don't go in, chase the darkness out first, and then bring the light in. Do we? Because that's an exercise in frustration. What we do is we go and we turn the light on there. That's, that's what Jesus does. We want to invite him into the darkness. There are too many people trying to clean up their darkness before they invite Jesus in. That's why we oftentimes never experience our freedom. I'll tell you a story about a guy who came to me one time after church. And I'd been talking a little bit about this kind of teaching. And he says, okay, he said, I struggle with porn. But he says, the porn I carry is in my head. He says, the cool thing about my porn is nobody can ever catch me on a laptop. He said, I had a highly sexual uh, uh, younger life. And he said, I carry those memories and I can run them in my head like videos. And I use them all the time. Okay, glad to hear it. He says, what do I do? Well, I, first, let it be clear that I don't know how to fix what's going on in your head. Anyone here? You know how to fix what's going on in somebody else's head? Like some of us have actually been dumb enough to try doing that. It doesn't work, okay? Um, but I, I will say this, I, and it sounds a little trite, but it's real. I know somebody who can. His name is Jesus. So he goes, yeah. Sounds like a preacher thing to say. I said, well, I'll tell you how to do this. I said, first, back to John 1.5. Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome him. Some of your translations say the darkness does not understand him. That would be talking about my computer hooking up to this projector a little while ago. We didn't have the proper cable. It would not interface without that proper cable. Jesus speaks about himself that way. When he comes into the room, he does not interface with the devil. He displaces the devil. So what do you want to do? I said to my friend, I said, you want to invite Jesus into the videos in your head. He says, are you kidding me? Those things are highly perverted. I said, you got to get over this idea that Jesus is somehow shocked. Jesus, like my wife, she is not shocked at the contents of the diaper. So, get your head wrapped around that. I said, what I want you to do, here's your homework. Next time you want to spool that, that image in your head, you stop, you bring that image up, you let it float right to the surface in all its graphic reality, and you invite Jesus into that image. He, he looks at me, he goes, okay, and he leaves. And uh, about two weeks later, ah, he shows up after church again, and he's standing with me out at the coffee station with his coffee, and he goes, do you want to know what happened? Of course I want to know what happened. You know, Again, you, it, it's so interesting about this stuff. We are talking about a living God here. That we're not talking about some kind of just simple recipe. Like what I'm teaching you is principles to allow the living God into your life. But he's the one that does the actual work. right? So this is not just a quick fix thing. This is a faith surrender thing. God, let God do his thing. So I said, yeah, absolutely I want to know what happened. What happened? And he, he looks at me and he says, okay, this is the deal. He said, I started spooling one of my favorite videos in my head. It's a memory of me, and I had a partner, and we're doing some crazy, perverse thing in this room. And I remember what you said. So he said, I prayed this prayer. Dear Jesus, would you please come into this image in my head? And he said, I got my eyes shut, and I'm watching the video in my head. And suddenly the door on the side of the room burst open, and Jesus walked into the room. And he said, that's not all. He said, my partner jumps up and screams, Ah! Is that Jesus? And runs out the other door. Other door. Now he says, you gotta understand, this partner is my, this is my imagination. She'd never done this before in the times I've used her in my head. There I was left standing naked in front of Jesus. And now I can't use that video anymore, he says. And then he asked me this most telling question. If I do this with all the videos in my head, will I lose them all? I said, you may well. 
I don't know if I'm ready for that. You know, a lot of it, you hear me, you'll hear me if you listen to me long enough, you'll hear me talk about the benefit of the sin. There's something that we have to let go. It's the same thing a drug addict has to let go. To be free, to be truly repentant, Jesus always called us to repentance. What does that mean? It doesn't mean fix yourself. It means turn from your selfishness back to him. It means turn from your strength back to his strength. Turn, turn from your agenda back to his agenda. There are two kinds of people that we talk about when we talk about repentance. There are pain reduction people. That's the people that want the pain to go away, but they want to keep the benefit of their sin. Then there's another type of people, and these are the truly repentant people. The ones that, you know what, they've had enough pain. The benefit, the fun of the sin is not worth keeping, and they're ready to lay it down. Not that they can lay it down, but they're ready. Those people in that readiness to be free, those are the ones God sets free. Well, anyway, my friend experienced this little touch of Jesus. And he went, hmm, i got to think about that. You know, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so that whole light into darkness thing. Remember that teaching in Romans 6. What are the members that you've offered to your sin? Offer them to Jesus. You are going to be a slave of somebody. I would rather be a slave of the God of heaven, a bondservant to him, than a slave to the devil, the world, or my flesh. Begin the process of learning to offer that. Um, it's an act of worship. I don't care what you've done with your body. You give God the worst parts of your life. Those are the greatest acts of worship. Because oftentimes those are the biggest places where the shame, the, 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 the pride... Uh, the agony, all that stuff is buried. You know why a lot of people don't get free from their sin? It's because there's too much pride. They want to they wanna get free from the shame, but they don't actually want to open the diaper, so to speak. So, And then, light into darkness. Okay. I've got a little more that I want to do. I've got 15 more minutes. <laughs> I want to take you to a passage of scripture that I really dislike. Anyone here? You got a passage of scripture you, you don't like? What do we do with those passages normally? Simple. We don't read them. Ha <laughs> ha! Right? One of my professors used to call it eisegesis. He says, I just read the stuff that I like, right? And believe in it the way I like to believe in it. He says, no, we got to do exegesis, which means we unpack the scripture for what it is. Uh, anyway, uh, this passage really stood out for me one time. I was struggling with pornographic thinking. I was a little younger, and God began to uh, show me uh, this passage that I had disliked. He began to bring this back to my mind. So I want to bring it to you. 1 Corinthians 10.13, and it says this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Stop right there. That's the part that I don't like because it's obviously wrong. Who here has been tempted beyond what you can bear? <clears throat> Let's just be honest. I have. Many times, over and over again. So this passage doesn't work. And I started belly aching to God about that right away. Um, and I felt like God said, you're not reading the whole passage. Read the whole passage. But when you were tempted, that word but. But. Here's the other option. When you were tempted... He will also provide a way out so you can endure it. Okay. So let's go back to the front of that passage again. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. For those of us who struggle with pornography, I want to say to you, 98% of men out there struggle with that 
very thing. Right now, we have 35% of women, statistically, um, that are struggling with pornographic addiction as well. Um, we have kids that are struggling. Um, and uh, so we're not alone. Yeah, but you don't know what I've done. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. It's just details. You don't know what's gone through my head. Yeah, again, more details. We are not alone. We have to understand that we're not alone. You know, I, I went to pastor my second church, uh, my third church, actually. Went to pastor my third church. Man, they were good looking. They smelled good. They acted well, all that kind of stuff. And even when they showed up late, they wouldn't come in and sit in the sanctuary. They sat in the foyer. I asked one of them why. Well, we don't want to let people know that we're late. There was this veneer of phoniness on the top of my congregation. I said, man, you, you picked the wrong pastor because I'm going to tell you about my sins from the pulpit. It took about two years. That church began to change and that church began to become a real church where you could share real things. We have to not pretend that we're okay when we're not. We have to learn how to be real with each other. So I got a buddy of mine came into that church about two years into this experiment. He's big. He's a crack addict. And uh, he's intimidating. He's six foot ten. He looks down on people. And nobody would talk to him. One day, I walked up to him. I said, so Dale, I said, why do you come to this church? He says, feels like home. What? Nobody talks to you at home either? He goes, no, no, no. He, they don't judge me here. He says, I'm safe. And Dale remains in that church to this day because he feels safe. We have to be a safe place. We are not alone. Okay? That's one of the strengths. The devil tries to get us off in the corner of the playground, beat us up, and make us feel alone. He says, uh, God is faithful. What does that mean? It means God is dependable. You can depend on God. He will not let you down. So that means, well, then, then I try to depend on God, and I feel like God let me down. Who let me down? I hate to say it, but it was me. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, He will provide the way out so you can endure it. So as I begin to read this passage, I want to just draw for you a little bit of the picture that sort of, sort of came to mind. I'll pull this a little bit further this way. And, and uh, this, is, this is what I began to see. Okay, so this is what I call my temptation continuum. Here's a moment where I'm tempted. This is the moment where I fall. I give in to the temptation and I fall. This is the moment where I finally uh, have had enough guilt and I receive the forgiveness. Does that make sense to you? In between the temptation and the fall, this is where I fight. This is where I do all the good little Christian sort of thing where, you know, you fight the temptation, all that kind of stuff, because that, that's what we're supposed to do. Then I finally give in because the temptation's too big. I fall, and this is the place in between here. So what I call the guilt. That's where I guilt myself until I hope that I'm sorry enough I won't do it again. When I finally think I'm, I, I've done it long enough, I've paid enough in guilt, I accept the forgiveness, and then I go back and I do it all over again. Anyone recognize this kind of a cycle in your life? It's funny, I was talking with a guy here a little while ago. He said, my cycle is about two weeks long. He says, it takes me about two weeks to the point where I can get over the guilt, I can finally accept the forgiveness of God, and then I get zapped with another temptation right away. Why do you think that is? Because the devil loves to have you soaking in guilt all the time. And the moment you get over the old guilt, he goes like, zap that guy again, right? You end up with people that are living like this, down in guilt, the moment they accept forgiveness, they get about two minutes of forgiveness just as a taster. Boom! They're back here in the toilet again. And they live their whole lives in depression with little moments of forgiveness with this kind of a model. What's wrong with that? Well, I felt like God gave me a little more. And He gave me this cross. There's Jesus. 
And where do you invite Jesus in? Well, that's where I invite Jesus in. I mean, that's what Jesus does, right? He comes to forgive. So I invite Jesus in, Lord, come forgive me. Make sense? What's the problem with that? Problem with that is Jesus has such minimal involvement in the whole process. You get what I'm saying? So what's the deal? And I felt like God said, go back and read the rest of the verse. Okay, let's go back and read the rest of the verse. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can do it. But when you are tempted, he says, invite me in here on the timeline. See, the problem with just inviting Jesus in at the end, I'll tell you what the trend is in this whole thing is we spent all of this time fighting in our own strength. And the tendency is for this to get shorter. The fight portion gets shorter and shorter because gradually you get to the point where you're going, I'm just going to do it again anyway. I might as well just give in. The guilt, and, the guilt part gets a lot longer. And people begin to live soaked in guilt. The freedom goes away. Well, okay, when we invite Jesus into the temptation, what do we do? We allow His Spirit to come to bear. He begins to be our strength. It's called faith. He fights the fight for us. And I want to be open with you. The, the, the fall, the times of falling begin to reduce. As we learn to trust Jesus, effectively depending on Him, the number of fallings reduce. Will they ever go away? Anyone? No. Why not? Because we have a tendency to drift back into our own strength. So I'm just going to say this. If you fall... 1 John 1.9 says what? It says, confess your sins to God. He who is faithful and just will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Don't soak yourself in guilt. The devil loves when you soak yourself in guilt. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. He became, brings an awareness of the guilt only for one purpose, that we may confess our sins. Lord, this is what I did so that God can step in and cleanse us and restore us to the freedom and joy that He made us for. Who here carries a lot of guilt? Carry a lot of guilt? Do you carry it well? No. Oh, I had a lady pipe up one day. Yeah, I carry it really well. You mean you carry a lot of it? Yeah, that's what I mean. That's not what I'm asking. The reason we don't carry guilt well is because we were not designed to carry guilt well. If we go back to the Old Testament, back to creation, what were Adam and Eve created for? They were created for freedom. Open and free relationship with God. The devil came, they turned to their own strength, they lost that. What's Jesus been trying to do with us ever since? He wants to get us back to that place of dependence on Him so that we can have the freedom that we're designed to live in. Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom that Christ set us free. Can anyone tell me why Christ set us free according to that passage? It's not a trick question. For freedom, Right? It's because it fills the heart of God with joy when His people, when His children, live as they were meant to live. So, if you fall, don't soak yourself in the guilt. Dear Lord, examine my heart. I give you what you find there. Psalm, 20, or Psalm 51, right? Pray that prayer. Give it to God right away. Pray 1 John 1 9. Give it to God right away. And God will fight the battle on your behalf. Okay, what do I got left for time? Can I do this? I don't know, but we're going to try. Okay? One more little insight that I found helpful. And this is actually the insight. I told you the story earlier on about my friend who used this teaching to uh, get free from his uh, nicotine addiction. This was sort of the teaching that was caused the, uh, the, the penny to tip, so to speak. Is that a, is that a, 
statement down here. You guys know what penny to tip. It means when the catalytic moment when things happen. Okay. 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20, it says this. Flee from sexual immorality. In other words, don't mess with it. Don't play with it, right? All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Your body wasn't designed for sexual sin. When we talk about sin, we are talking about using your body in a way it wasn't designed for. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? That means you're designed for the presence of God. So when you give your body, especially body parts that you've used for sin, you give those things to God, you're allowing God to re-sanctify your body, restore your temple. Do you, he says, you are not your own. Okay, now let's go back to this, we've been bought. We don't belong to ourselves. We are not independent citizens, so to speak. When it comes down to the being a part of the family of God, you've been bought and paid for. Does anyone know what you've been bought and paid for with? Well, it says a price. What was the price? You know, I was hanging out with my realtor one day, and uh, we were looking at houses, and he said, uh, he said this most amazing thing to me. We were in this house, and there was some, uh, um, oh, there was some water damage. And I thought they were asking too much for the house. And I looked at my realtor, and I said, I said, this house, I said, do you think it's worth what they're asking? And he looks at me and he says, it's worth whatever anyone will pay. And I knew God was talking to me. You know, folks, when you think about it, how do you view yourself, right? Yourself, when you think about it, okay, here's myself. I sort of view myself as Jesus. Jesus more valuable than me. Uh, you know, there's a couple of pastors I know that are more valuable than me, all that kind of stuff. We tend to view each other, ourselves, from a performance basis. And we assign ourselves um, value based on our performance. What I want to say to you is that Jesus at the cross wiped all that out. From now on, it's even ground at the foot of the cross. Even to the point when you think about what was paid for you was the life of Jesus. You know what that means? It means your worth is the life of Jesus in the eyes of God that translates into the fact that God loves you as much, Jerome, as he loves Jesus. I, I had a hard time wrapping my head around that. Eh? But he does. He gave Jesus for you. You are worth the life of Jesus to him. The, the more that we can wrap our head around that understanding, the greater the freedom we will have to come to him in any stumbling. Okay. So you've been bought and paid for with a price. That means you don't belong to yourself anymore. That means you've got to quit acting like you belong to yourself. We uh, bought this old property one time, and I like to sort of finish with this. Old property had a house on it. It had a couple of sheds on it. I actually only found one of the sheds when we bought it because the other one was covered in ivy. It was up on the coast. So I'd bought this shed I didn't know I had until I went chopping ivy. Um, the The... The property was covered with bush, and it was overgrown, and I had to start cleaning up. As I uncovered my second shed, it was full of old lawnmowers, old roofing tar, uh, fragments of an above-ground swimming pool, piles of walnut shells. I found piles of walnut shells inside the house, too. You know where the walnut shells came from? Turns out the local rats didn't like eating walnuts in the rain. So they found out how to get into the house, and they took all their walnuts in there, too. We had four big walnut trees. 
Anyway, by the time I finally got looking at all this stuff, I'm getting pretty ticked off, right? I found the, se- the, the second shed. I had this immediate surge of joy. I thought I found treasure. I open it up. It's full more junk. I'm, I'm going, that does it. I want to phone this guy that sold me the house, and I want to say, get back here and get your junk and take it with you. But I can't do that. Do you know why? Because when I, when I bought the property, I bought the garbage with the property. It's not my garbage, right? This is what I want to say to you about the property of God. You are the property of God. I am the property of God. We together are the property of God. And you got to understand three things about property. We're all used property. Used by who? The world, the flesh, the devil. Luke 8. Right? We've all been used. So, we all come, first and foremost, with garbage. All used property comes with garbage. So if you're a porn addict, you've been struggling with pornography, that's the garbage you come with. If you got pictures in your head that you can't get out of your head, that's the garbage you come with, right? Now, the second thing you got to know about used property is this. The owner buys the garbage with a property, right? So all that stuff now belongs to Jesus. That means the porn in your head. It means the lust in your heart. It means the uh, the filthy things you did with your hands and your feet and your eyeballs and your sexual parts. That belongs to Jesus. Somebody said to me, that didn't come from Jesus. That's not what I said, but it belongs to him. You get what I'm saying? Third thing you got to know about used property is this. The owner gets to clean it up. You know how often while I was cleaning up this property, I wish I could find a little red button that I press and it would all fold itself up and trot itself off to the dump? Never happened. I had to haul that stuff to the dump myself, trailer load by trailer load by trailer load. Folks, Jesus has bought you and your garbage. It belongs to him, all of it. Every evil picture, every filthy word that you've heard, And he's the one that's going to clean it up. Are you willing to allow that to happen? So then let's get graphic. Dear Jesus, I invite you into the porn in my head. Dear Jesus, I invite you into the lust of my heart. Dear Jesus, I understand that you are not turned off by my sin, but that you're filled with the joy that comes with being able to redeem me. And I am ready. Let's pray together. God Almighty, we come before you because you love us. We come before you because you have called us. We come before you, Lord, to give you what is yours. Lord, to give you our sins, to give you our temptations, to give you our brokenness. You know what, my brothers, my sisters here, I want to invite you to pray with me. If you have something in your heart right now, I want to lead you in that prayer of surrender to Jesus. I'm going to lead you in the words. I'm going to ask you to pray them out with me. Uh, All you have to do is meet them. And God who sees your heart will answer. Pray with me. Dear Jesus, I come to you as I am. Please forgive me for fighting my sin on my own. I have tried to fix myself and I have failed. But I believe you are who you say you are. You're the Son of God. You died to forgive my sins and you rose to give me eternal life. I now invite you into my darkness. I offer you my body, a living sacrifice. I invite you into the pictures of my head. 
the lust of my heart, every craving that is within me. It all belongs to you. I now accept you at your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I receive your forgiveness. And I accept my place in the body of Christ. Lead me on this journey of freedom. In your name, I pray. Amen. Anyway, thank you, folks. I feel like I just hosed you down with a lot of stuff uh, here in this last hour, but uh, it's good. I I just pray that God uh, continues to lead you forward on your journey into freedom. And, you know, that you lead somebody else. You know, this simple little prayer about inviting Jesus into the darkness. I remember being at a, a, a Bible school here a little while ago. And this young lady, she goes, okay. And she bounces out into the room. And about five minutes later, she comes roaring back in. you got to help me. What do you mean? Well, I went out and found somebody and prayed that prayer with them. And something happened. Okay, we ran out. And, and sure enough, something was happening. And God set somebody free. You know, that whole freedom thing. I always think about James 1. It says the, the person that does the word, those are the people that get the excitement uh, of seeing the blessing happen in their lives. So God is not shocked by anything you carry. God loves you. His desire is to forgive and redeem. Invite him into the issues. Let him do what he does best. For those of you who are interested, oh yeah, okay. Uh, I'm looking for I'm looking for pastors. Do we have any pastors here? I would like to give this to you. Appreciate that. Yeah. So for those of you who are interested, as Jacqueline said, this is just coming up online. It can be streamed session by session right now. Hopefully, within the next couple of days, it will be able to be downloaded as a as a full uh, series. But it walks through uh, more extensively the teachings that I have attempted to give you in this past hour. Um, do we have any men's groups leaders here? Okay. There we go. And there we go. Bless you guys. Um, thank you so much for listening to me. I've enjoyed the time.